time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. But, you know, still, he's yakless. Oh, he's the yakless wonder. He is. My God. Good job, Zach Ertz, baby. Love it. Ertzy, babe. Ertzy, babe. Whether it's the fighting Bills, the birds, the fly guys, the process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. God damn it, I love Chase Sutton. And John Mita. Terry Williams, do me a favor. For one week, can I not talk about you? Oh, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. But it's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Back and better than ever, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. Follow us on Twitter at Beloved Podcast. Thanks for checking us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Johnny Mita, how are you, brother? I'm doing well, man. Totally caught up in the tournament madness. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Yes, it is officially March Madness. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about free agency in the National Football League and some of the moves the Eagles have made. We'll talk about Jake Arietta signing with the Fighting Phils as they add a piece to the puzzle. I know you want to talk a little golf with El Tigre, Tiger Woods uh, being back in the mix lately, and uh, we do have a lot to get into other than that, but let's start with March Madness, my friend, because it has been insanity, number one seeds dropping like flies, number 13 seeds heading to the Sweet 16. What do you make of all this? It's just been the most unpredictable college basketball tournament. I knew that there was going to be a lot of teams that had the opportunity to win the national title. You just didn't see some of the most major players in college basketball, some of the historic programs, have such early exits. I mean, it's been absolutely ridiculous. But we have to talk about one game. And the one game, and I was told by my I was told by Shauna, she's like, you got to bring this up on the podcast. The, his, the history that I witnessed this past Friday night, when that's right, people, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Who? Retreat. <laughs> yes, I know. It is a long-winded, it's like saying T.J. Hushman Zada. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Maryland. That's yeah. a good analogy. It's East like Southwest the, University College. My God, yeah. University of Maryland, Baltimore County, the Retrievers, pulled the most historic upset in college basketball history. It was ridiculous. And you look at a team like Virginia, they were the number one seed going into the entire tournament. They literally only had a couple losses on their resume. Although before the the tournament got started, they got dealt a heavy blow when their sixth man of the year in the ACC, DeAndre Hunter, broke his wrist in practice, which really, I don't know if that played in some of the mindset of these players, but i got to be honest with you, it, it definitely, I'm sure if he played in that game, I, I'm not so sure Virginia would have won because UMBC was just on fire, but it definitely would have been a little different. But what I love to watch these kids from this underdog, they essentially got in the tournament because they beat Vermont in the conference championship on a buzzer beater. But the thing that I love best, just watching this team, it was just that, you know, Virginia was the type of team that they had the best defense in the entire country, but they wouldn't let up. Like, I think they held like seven opponents under 50 points or less, which in college basketball is really good. And what I just loved about these kids is they just kept their foot on the pedal. You know, the halftime score of this game was 20, 
I think it was 21 all at the half. And then I'm reading it. I'm reading it on the TV. I'm like, wait a minute. 29-22 UMBC? The next thing you know, they pump it up to 14. And it was just amazing to just watch how aggressive they were. And that's, you know, kind of reminded me of Doug Peterson and, and his aggressiveness in the Super Bowl. That's right. We'll say that once again, Eagles are Super Bowl champions. But you've got to love the aggressiveness because they just kept their foot on the pedal. They just didn't play not to lose. A lot of teams would have tried to spread the ball around on the floor, you know, kind of milk the clock. But they just got up and down the court, and they were, they played fearless, which was just amazing. So big shout out to them for making history. Okay, it's only happened one time since the tournament went to, you know, a 16-seed process that this has ever happened. That's right. The one seeds are 135 and now one. It was just a tremendous performance. Great to see. So happy. Hey, everyone loves the underdog story, right? We've been saying it all year. Yeah. We know that and we, we know that team better than anyone else, especially in this city. And uh it was just amazing. And you look at what they did, and then there was you know, Louisville's Chicago, who I actually thought they'd get by the first round. And then Cincinnati's up twenty two points yesterday. And Nevada comes storming back and takes them out and Clemson beats the brakes off Auburn. It was a good team all year. Michigan State goes down to Syracuse. And Arizona. North Carolina, man. North Carolina got routed. Carolina goes down by 22. Between Carolina, Arizona, Michigan State. I mean, you're talking about probably the top ten programs in the entire country. And none of them are seeing the second weekend, which, you know, it's just a fitting name for what this tournament is all about, man. March Madness, because you witness some of the most great performances by these college kids. I mean, it's, I mean, Michigan went on a buzzer beater. Houston had the game won. They're up two points. They go to the free throw line. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. They miss two free throws. There's three and a half seconds left. They get the ball off the court, and Michigan hits a prayer buzzer beater to make them move on against Houston. I mean, it is. It's just been so fun to watch, and I'm glad that you know Villanova is uh, hanging strong in the tournament. You've got you've, you've got a feel for the Virginia kids because now they're linked to this infamous moment, uh, and they won't yeah. shake it. Uh, unfortunately, unless another Great number point. one goes down, but even still, they're the one. They're the one number one, the first one, and so for from that standpoint. That's going to be tough to live with for a long time, especially in today's social media world and and all the scrutiny and the spotlight put on these kids. Again, they're kids. On the flip side, everybody now knows that UMBC is known as the Retrievers because if you had given me a 1,000 freaking guesses what UMBC's moniker was, I would have never guessed the Retrievers. So fitting, the underdogs were Retrievers, in my opinion. Uh, But, yeah, just crazy for them to win that game going away. You know, you're right. Maybe maybe if Virginia's sixth man can spark him off the bench if he was healthy, maybe that game never gets out of hand. Maybe he's the guy that comes in and turns the tie with some big plays. But, hey, they won going away. And, um, you know, the the Cinderella shoe didn't fit much longer. They lost yesterday uh, to wrap up. You know, they they were unable to advance to the Sweet 16, but the damage was already done at that point. I got to give a lot of credit to Coach Tony Dennis from Virginia, because this guy handled the entire thing with such class. Yep, I, I mean, it, it was just what he said, you know, how they just got 
just they just got beat. And, you know, the type of stuff that he told his kids after the game, I mean, you had to feel for him, even though you're always rooting for the underdogs. You just have to understand, like, when it comes to sports and the pressure that's on these kids. Like, they're the number one seed. You're supposed to win these games. You're supposed to win your first two games. You're supposed to win your first three games. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that type of pressure, I mean, it just, you know, like you said before, you know, my heart went out to those kids. I I kind of felt bad for them because, like, you know, they're always going to be linked to history. And you look at the UMBC kids, you probably go to their arena, it's going to be like the movie Hoosiers, where yeah. there's going to be a picture of them on the wall with their autographs all over that picture. This is the team that took down Goliath. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's and, and and that they'll be linked to history forever. And it was a shame. I would love to see them move on yesterday. They had a tough go, but they shot. It was the most historic, terrible shooting performance yesterday when they played Kansas State. I think they hit 12 out of 47 shots. And they were nine eighteen from the foul line. They still only lost by five six points. But if you shoot that terrible, it's almost impossible to win. You alluded at Villanova still being alive. Obviously, they're on course. Here's where I'm at on Nova Nation. First round win. You expect to beat the the number sixteen seed, and they did. Now, granted, they didn't take it for granted. They got it done. Then they're playing an Alabama team that certainly has some spunk. They play in the SEC where they gave Kentucky a run in the tournament, the SEC tournament, um, and that game was close for a while, up through halftime, because Alabama, they can defend. And so what I see next for Villanova Friday night against West Virginia, another great defensive team if I'm not mistaken, is that they've gotten through the first test. I feel like the Alabama game sets them up well for West Virginia because now they've had a grind one out, uh, again, it was only really halftime where that game was close, but Alabama defended their you-know-what off, and it forced Villanova to earn that win to advance to the Sweet 16. You know way more about me than college basketball. You follow Nova Nation more intensely than I do. Am I seeing this wrong at all, that Alabama properly prepares Villanova for another good defensive test in West Virginia Friday night? Oh, absolutely. No, you hit on right on. I mean, basically, the thing with West Virginia – the thing you got to look at is that they have very comparable athletes. You know, they're kind of built the same way. Um, so it, you're right. I mean, it's going to be – the thing I look at West Virginia is, is they are a great defensive team. You pointed that out. But that's the one thing that, that I think West Virginia is going to run into some trouble is because they just can't score enough. And when you play a team like Villanova, who basically averages 85 points a game, if you can't score enough, it's going to be hard for you to win the game. I think the only way I see Villanova really struggling in this game, they have, like, they shoot the ball, let's say, a percentage under 30% from the floor. If they do that, they could be in one of those nail biters. But, and you also have to look at the experience factor. You know, um, West Virginia, they have a couple, they have a couple seniors on their squad that are, that are decent. Javon Carter, their point guard, he's a, he's a great player. Um, but, I look at the experience with Villanova. You you have the killer bees, right? You got Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, and Phil Booth. And all three of those guys were on the national, you know, all three of those guys played in the national championship, and they played significant roles. So they, they kind of been here, done that. And the one thing I look at Nova, obviously, and they're just, they're just a hard matchup for people because, number one, everyone on their team pretty much, you know, all the way through the starting lineup can shoot three-pointers. 
you're talking every starter can shoot the three ball. And that that poses a lot of problems for people trying to defend them. What I like about them, too, is it seems that late in the season right now that their defense is improving immensely. They're playing a lot better team defense. Another another thing why they're a matchup nightmare is because defensively, you know how most teams like – so if they're playing man-to-man defense, some teams try to work over the screens, you know, as opposed to run through the screens or run behind them to play defense. Well, Nova's so versatile with their, with their players and their athletes that they don't have to do that. They switch off every screen and roll. And, and that's just difficult for teams to defend against. So it, I, I really like where they're headed. You know, you got to look at Jay's got the experience. And, you know, Jay's always done it historically when West Virginia was in the Big East, you know, years ago. He's always, uh, you know, kind of had Huggy Bear's numbers. So, you know, I look for Nova to, to, to win this game and win this game comfortably. The crazy thing is the Villanova region, where I thought was probably the most easy region the entire you know the entire brackets it's pretty much the only one that has gone chalk every other one has not you know you still have the one seed of live obviously Villanova you got the two seed which happens to be Purdue Texas Tech three and then West Virginia five obviously Wichita State got knocked off by Marshall but you look at the other regions you got sevens and thirteens yeah. and elevens it's and, all been blown to I bits mean, <laughs> A blown, a brackets, busted. I mean, look but at the, look at the path I, Kentucky could have to the Final Four. They're not going to beat anybody of any relevance, and they could be in the Final <laughs> Four, uh, which exactly. is crazy. But hey, you, you got to play who's in front of you. Any sport, any situation, you got to throw exactly. that. You got to throw that. You know, you got to throw that out at the end of the day. You play who's in front of you. Um, the only <laughs> thing, the last thing I'll say on Villanova: don't settle for the three. You know, I know when they're uh, hitting them. I agree. They're, they're great point. They're, they're unreal, yep. but it stretches throughout the game when Alabama was pressing them in their face, switching well. They were just jacking them up. They were. It was almost like there was nothing inside, so rather than just try and – again, you never want to force it, but rather than just try and get some motion in there, get it in the big man, then kick it back out, it was just like, well, nothing in front of us, eight to go on the shot clock, jack it up. Um, so that is where they can get bitten with you know settling for those longer three balls and those long shots, but – Again, I think that Spellman... No, I don't. Yeah, you're, you're completely right. That's the one thing that does tend to frustrate me watching this team all year is that when they're not shooting the ball well from three, they just continue to jack them. And it's like, listen, you know, we have such a good team. There's better ways to find easier shots. Sometimes if you can knock down some of these easy two-point field goals, then it's going to come. Yeah, I'd like to see Bridges attack the basket. I'd like to see Pascal and Spellman get involved inside. I mean, that's where the bread and butter is. Look, great guard play, leadership, good coaching, all things that the NCAA tournament has always been about. Uh, Free throws, you know. And and you've got to shoot from the outside with some consistency. But if you don't have an inside presence for at least stretches of games, no matter who you're playing, small team, big team, quick, you know, slower to defend, doesn't matter. At some point, you've got to get to the rim. When Villanova does that and they mix in their outside perimeter shooting and they're defending, that's when they're as good as anybody in the country. That's what's going to get them the Final Four. No doubt. And the other thing is, too, they have to stay out of foul trouble. Yes. They kind of got, they kind of got away, uh, away with it against Alabama or Brunson, you know, set out a long stretch. Yeah, I know. He sat out like the entire it. first half, basically, and they survived. I mean, give Jay credit. He didn't panic. He didn't put him back in. They were always yeah. leading. Um, and that's, that is calm, confident coaching right there. And a good job, I feel like they left them out. They stabilized, 
Alabama never took the lead and pulled ahead by four or five points where you're going, man, Brunson's got to come back in. You risk him getting that third foul. He just sat. He rode the pine till halftime, right? Yeah, no, he did. And, um, and Pascal and Spellman, it's imperative because, you know, coming off the bench, we don't really have a lot of front court depth coming off the bench. So it'll be imperative for those guys to – I don't mind them fouling guys when it's necessary, but just don't commit the stupid fouls. Don't commit the ones that you can just totally, you know, that are unnecessary. So, but I think the Cats have a real good path to try to get to San Antonio. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Joe O'Donnell and John Mita here with you. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Uh, before we jump to the NFL, let's quickly touch on the fight and fills. They signed, you know, maybe their biggest name offseason free agent pitcher in quite some time Jake Arrieta won a World Series a couple years ago with the Cubs uh, didn't have that Cy Young type of year last year Philly's banking on kind of getting him in a uh, you know one of those situations I don't want to say you know buy low sell high type of things but he was a free agent in the training camp that's got to tell you something but the Phillies got a manageable manageable deal deal term wise just three years Arietta gets what he wants which is a job <laughs> And uh, the Phillies could certainly use the top of the rotation type of caliber arm he has been in his career. Your thoughts on the Arietta signing? Well, I think it was a great signing. It's you know, listen, it's time for this team to now step up and try to win some more games. Yeah. And you know, one of their weakest links is definitely the starting pitching staff. We all knew there was a hole. They you know they have Aaron Nola. He's kind of your like establishing, but you look behind him. You have Jared Eichhoff, some other young arms, but. And this league to win, you need at least three solid pitchers, and and that's this accomplishes, you know, another thing to get it, and just somebody with a reputation who's who's kind of pitched in some of those bigger games, and you got to give the Phillies front office credit here, and because they weren't giving in, and, right. and I kind of like the move, like this three year deal is kind of similar to like some of the deals that Howie Rosen made. It's like, okay, you prove it to me. You prove it to me while you're worth $200 million. And that's the thing. Baseball, it's been a really weird free agency. And I don't know if you've been following a, a lot of it, but like, there's a lot of big names like still out there and you know, guys. And, and I think baseball is kind of like, I think teams are kind of been snake-bitten, so to speak, with some of these, you know, we'll give you seven years, you know, two hundred twenty million. You know, some of these longer contracts. Yeah. Well, look, you don't want to pay. You don't want to pay a guy after he's after he's long gone or, or diminishing. I mean, look at the Ryan Howard contract for the Phillies. That right. that that hampered right. them for years. I know we're talking about pitcher here, but if anything, pitchers are more, uh, ex, uh, you know, susceptible to quickly deteriorating or having an injury and being done. So, I hear you. Major League Baseball GMs have to be a little bit smarter with the cash that they're chucking around and trying to build with younger players and talent and acquiring assets. If you don't want to get in the arms race, so to speak, in the free agency end of things, you got to do it the other way. you got to do it uh, through small ball. Whatever it is you decide is your path for your franchise, you got to kind of stick to it at times. And the Phillies, you said it right. They The front office deserves credit. If Arietta works out, it's a home run, no pun intended. If it doesn't work out, they're not on the they hook for six it. years. Look, good move and by the Phillies. Also, they add some depth, and they get a top-of-the-rotation starter that's got to at least make the rest of the division go, well, it's not going to be so easy now. Right, and then shows, you know. And, and he's ready to go, man. I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. Now, I just saw a quote the other day. You know, he threw, like, a simulated game, and a reporter tweeted, 
well, you know, not quite ready after just, you know, a 20-minute session or whatever, and he responded on Twitter and said, like, I'm ready to go. So I love that mentality, just get in the camp, but hand him the damn baseball. And you want a guy with that approach. You do. And it just shows the commitment back to the Phillies. need to show the fans for not paying for any type of free agents over the last, what, three years? Yeah. It's nice that they finally went out on the market, got an established name, and let's keep on bringing it. You know, Carlos Santana, for the record, the big slugger they signed, has mashed right. a couple of dingers this spring, which is certainly um, right. nice to see. I know it's spring training, but he's connecting on the baseball. That's a good sign. And Scott Kimberly's yeah. having a heck of a spring. I saw his average is up like 375, 380, somewhere in there. He'll probably start in the minors uh, because of contraction reasons. I, I know oh, you do, God, but I hey, they got to yeah. stay with – hey, trust the process, bro. Right, you know what it. I mean? You've been dealing with the Sixers long enough. By the way, Ben Simmons, third triple-double the last four games. You kidding me right now? Guy's on fire. Oh, God. If, if the kid learns how to shoot, the league just better take <laughs> The uh, league will take notice. Crazy to think he's, got, he's had three triple-doubles the last four games, and you're saying he's got to learn how to shoot. But certainly he could approve. <laughs> you know, if there's one thing he's got to approve, it's there. All right, let's jump to the fills. We'll touch on Tiger Woods before we get off so I can light you up real quick on that. But let's go let's go to the birds in the National Football League. Uh oh, God. the the free agency carousel is on fire right now. Um I want to start here though, okay? Let's start with the news that I think we knew was coming. I, I knew it was coming. You probably did. Opening night. Super Bowl champs at home, Thursday night football, kick off the season. Minnesota Vikings, a rumored opponent. No shocker there. Do you think they'll score more than seven this time around? With Kirk Cousins at the helm, that fraud, that bank robber. We are going to bury them. The birds are going to bury them. I can't wait. I can't wait. This clap comes back. How many fans do you think are going to travel from Minnesota? Six. Even though the weather will be, yeah. Six total. You think you Three of them will be Kirk Cousins' family members. You think Millie makes the trip? I don't think the Vikings players are going to want to make that trip. I can't wait nah. for September the oh, 6th. opening night, the banner goes up. Oh, I mean, the place that place is going to be, be on fire. Literally, on it might fire. burn to the ground. Win, lose, or draw. And, uh, exactly. And I can't wait for it, to be quite honest. And, and, and I'm glad. You know what? Let, hey, the Vikings want to step up. They want to put their you-know-what on the table. They want to show a little bravado and free agency, add to their roster. I get it, man. This is their opportunity. They don't want their window to close. But I cannot wait for the Philadelphia Eagles to pump the Minnesota Vikings on national television in their Super Bowl title debut. I'm already calling the victory. Book it. I don't care what the spread is. I don't care if Wentz is healthy. The Eagles are not going to lose that football game at Lincoln Financial Field. I don't care. It's I, not going to happen. Kirk Cousins could throw for 600 yards. The Eagles will win that game. I agree. All right, so free agency. So, uh, yeah. Vinny Curry, well, they, gone. Brent Selleck, gone. Uh, additions of Michael Bennett, trading for a cornerback. Torrey Smith, gone. I mean, what do you make of all this? The, they've been busy. Howie's been busy. First and foremost, I think it, it's been phenomenal to watch some of the players that have you know, left the organization. Even some of the guys who are only here for a year that have moved on. Guys like Torrey Smith, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, Vinny Curry and Bo Allen, they were on the team for years. But just to see the heartfelt messages that they sent out to the organization and the fan base and how proud they were to bring the first NFL championship uh, to the city of brotherly love. That was just great to see. And, you know, we wish those guys nothing but the best. You know, they'll always be 
you know, remembered for what they did this past year. And but it's crazy. The Michael Bennett trade came out of nowhere. In my opinion, I think it was a total steal. I think this guy needs a little change of scenery, and I think we have the leadership on our ball club that that can help you know get the best out of this guy. And Michael Bennett is a force, man. He he is he is a home wrecker, and he can he can get after the quarterback. And I think and, and if you look at where they can play him, remember how they were shifting Brandon Graham inside to play you know next to Fletcher Cox at D tackle. Well, then now now that position. They call it their NASCAR package. That'll be Michael Bennett's wheelhouse, where he probably moves inside. And then you keep Brandon Graham and Barnett on the outside, and with Fletcher. And, and they're just going to be—it's it, going to be fun to see. Uh, you hate to see some of the familiar faces go, like Vinnie Curry and, and Brent Selick, obviously. But um, yeah, they had to make some moves to get on the cap, Joe. And I sent you this today. You know, Lane Johnson restructured his contract and. Lane Johnson, being a true friend of the crowd, Bud Light sent him 20 cases of beer, <laughs> which is so ridiculous. But it's just, you know, they're making more rooms. I'm interested to see what they're going to do. You know, they traded Tory Smith. They got they got another. You know, obviously, Howie Roseman, this, this organization values draft picks. be interesting to see if they move a guy like Ronald Darby, try to, you know, acquire a second or third round pick, get back in the mix. But... The other thing is, what are they going to do at wide receiver? Alshon Jeffrey, I love where Nelson Aguilar was playing this slot. Alshon Jeffrey is kind of your number one, but who becomes that number two? I know they love Matt Collins, but I'll be interesting to see if the Eagles, maybe with that late first-round pick, if they don't draft a wide receiver. Uh, you know the guy I want. You know the I guy know. I want. I know. Anthony Miller, my friend. But I, I, don't, okay. I, I don't think – you know, I know we're still a month or so from the draft, but I, I don't think that it doesn't behoove you to just focus in on one position. Don't you agree? Yeah, well, I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, but if if a defensive sit. lineman slips and he's the top guy on the, on the board, don't you have to make that pick? Because I well, feel yeah, like the probably, Eagles for I mean, years have gotten enamored yeah. with certain players, and that's when it's hurt them the most. No, I, I do Reaching that, for a guy or, hey, this is our guy, but, and – Look, you have players emerge all the time that are undrafted. Look at Corey Clement this year. You know, Mac Hollins, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say a late-round pick, but, you know, he had yeah. some spurts this year. Can he develop and become a bit more of the puzzle? Can you get a guy like Torrey Smith, this year's version, off the scrap heap somewhere down the line? I, I just feel like forcing yourself to pigeonhole a draft pick for position is where you get yourself in trouble. Now, for years it was always, hey, this team needs a running back. This team needs a linebacker. But, again, I think as the draft has moved along over time, there's so many gems, late rounds, and undrafted free agents available. You know, you stake the best player on the board, but what the hell do I know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and let's talk, too. And the other thing is they re-signed. They freed up a lot of cap space, and they re-signed Nigel Bradham. You know, that was one of the things is, okay, you might look at linebacker. And I love the fact, Johnny Mead, I love the fact he took less money to stay with the Birds. Well, he got one and had to be with his D.C. who, who believed him and brought him in, Jim right. Shorts, yeah. Any other yeah. free agency thoughts, winners and losers? We talked about some of the moves the Vikings have made. Case Keenum now the Broncos yeah. quarterback. I think that's a terrible decision. Houston got the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. Yeah. Uh, that makes their defense, uh, their defense about as formidable on paper as it gets if everybody's healthy. Uh, anybody yeah. else around the free agency 
uh, world, the circuit of free agency, that you are like, whoa, this team got a lot better? I mean, the Packers. The Packers kind of made a couple interesting moves by by getting Jimmy Graham and releasing Jordy Nelson. I mean, that kind of made me say, whoa. And then they got that defensive tackle that they've been looking for with Muhammad Wilkerson. So there's a couple moves. I mean, nothing's really like stood out where you could say like one team you're like, wow, like this team really killed it. You got to let things play out. I mean. The the thing that you know what really shakes my head and really rattles my my stones here, Joe, is the fact that somebody's going to pay Sam Bradford one year twenty million dollars. I mean, I don't know what type of pictures this guy has of NFL executives all over, but I've never seen a more mediocre player make so much goddamn money in his career. It is truly astounding to me. Let's not forget that at one point I was in Sammy Sleeve's corner so hard, and I was so basically part of his fan club, and I would like to yeah. apologize for that right now at this moment. Ah, oh, thank you, Joe. You You're made welcome. my night. Did, did you see that picture I sent you? For those people that don't know, okay, Sam Bradford, since he's been in the league, he's made an average of $14 million per year, which outflanks Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, the list goes on and on, Russell Wilson, just ridiculous. Sam Bradford was the last draft class where they had exorbitant amount of signing bonus money with their five-year contract, and that's why he got so much money up front. But anyway, moving on. Sorry. No, all good, Sam brother. Bradford still sucks. Let's uh, real quick stick tap to the sure. Eagles' uh, Twitter feed. Uh, yeah. Did I send you the photo that uh, so the Vikings on St. Patty's Day must have tweeted from their official team account? That there's no day, like, wearing green on one where, day. Yeah, where you yeah. can wear green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, no day, no no day where, you, where you should ever wear green. Exactly. Subtle jab, obviously, at the birds slash the fact that they wear purple and it's just purple's their color, right? I get it. Cute little tweet. Yeah. Great job. Until the Eagles responded with a photo from Michigan State circa, I don't know, uh, t- 10 years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah where Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles were teammates. Now, Foles finished up at Arizona. What point was he at, at Michigan State, I guess, earlier? Did he transfer then at some point? Yeah, he, he, I think he only played one year, his okay. freshman year at Michigan so State. So there's a team photo where next to each other, you know, kneeling on the grass are the quarterbacks, Foles and Cousins. Now, the Vikings just signed Cousins. And so in the photo, he's donning a green practice jersey right next to Nick Foles. And the Eagles just put – a little like smirking emoji with like basically do your homework. Uh, it was I'm paraphrasing, but it was great, man. The social media game of the Eagles is straight fire, and they just jammed it right up the Vikings. You know what? With their little side shiesty comment, oh no, no day should you wear green. Yeah, well, your new starting quarterback he's just signed. He, he used to wear green at Michigan State, and Nick Foles, by the way, was was right next to him in the team photo. How great is that? I love it. And he's never going to earn the green that that team is paying him. That's for damn sure. I love it. He's because so I, I look at that I look at that contract, I'm like, what has this guy won? I'm not saying the Redskins teams have been, they put a lot around him, but I just think he's overrated. But again, here's another guy. Look at the money this guy's made. Franchise tag for two years at like $20, $20 million, right? So that's like $40 million. Yeah. And then he signs like the richest guaranteed contract in NFL history, three years, $84 million. 
Guy's made $120 million in five years and still drives a minivan. Anyway, all right, that's enough for Kirk Cousins. You wanted to talk about Tiger Woods. Why? You know, I love golf. I love to play golf. I watch a lot of golf. I'm involved in golf pools. But it's just the one guy in that sport that just, just captivates everyone. It's amazing. My friend, my buddy Mike Gozik, his father has a driving range, and he told me, he was like, if Tiger is in contention on Sundays, he said their profit goes up tenfold because, like, because so many people are jacked up. And I even heard around here, like, the bars were just, like, on fire because people were just going in there, and they just wanted to watch Tiger compete. And the last two tournaments, I mean, here's the deal. Tiger Woods, obviously, is the probably worst tipping professional athlete in all the sports, and that's just stone-cold fact. But you look at a guy Wait, that he's was, cheap? Uh, he is the cheapest professional athlete of, huh. of, in mankind. But, but the crazy thing is, here's a guy that just dom- dominated the sport. He was like the Michael Jordan of golf. And then he had in the he had the infidelity incident and it, it pretty much, you know, in the loss of his father passing away, Earl Woods, that kind of just derailed his career with the infidelity incident and the passing of his father. Then all of a sudden he's suffering through some some terrible injuries with his back. Then you know, what is it, less than a year ago, the guy turns out he's abusing, you know, prescription drugs and alcohol and he gets a DUI, and you look at that mugshot photo of him, and now he is back on track, and he is playing some of the best golf that he's played in years. The last two tournaments, it, it, this is how this guy moves the needle, Joe, okay? This guy, he didn't finish a golf tournament in like two years. He plays in a golf tournament, looks decent. Then two weeks ago, he plays at what the Valspar, in contention all the way to the end. And then right before he tees off at Bay Hill, he is now the favorite to win the Masters. Talk about a guy that hasn't finished a tournament in like two years, now becomes a favorite. So it's just great to see him come back. People love Tiger Woods. They just love – he's like an icon of the sport. And I think it's kind of like a redemption story. Like the guy was on top of the world. Bam, his life kind of went through a, a bad period. He was fighting some, you know, demons of, of his own. And, and now he's on the comeback trail. And it, it just makes a lot – it just makes it a lot more interesting. So Guess what, that's Jeremy Mita? All, all right, go ahead. He, ain't, go he ahead. ain't winning again. I said it five, oh, six years ago, and I'll say it still no to this day. He hasn't won <laughs> since 2013, my friend. He ain't winning again. It's too much of a mental game. Look, I understand he's got some confidence back. I understand he has some confidence back. I understand how mental, uh, how mentally fragile the golf game can be, right? If you're struggling confidence-wise, you probably have no shot. And I know he's turning the corner, and he's as close to old Tigers we've seen in years. He ain't winning again because karma's a you-know-what, and that's just yeah. the way it is. All right? So, well, okay. I don't. What do you want to put on it? You want to set it a year? Does he win in the next calendar year? What are, are, we, are we talking about a major? Are we talking no, about I'm talking about anything, form? man. He could go win in your backyard for all I care and some chip and putt. Yeah, let's bet on that. Let's make a wager right. live on the Boy Love podcast all right. right now want? that he will win again. Case Estella for 30-pack of bush. 
There it is. The old brotherly love, Done. silly brotherly love. The old beer, the old beer brotherly love bet. You got it. So, so I don't know what so, uh, what, what set, it, what set went, it at. Wait, wait so the, the Masters is the first set of the majors, right? Right. Okay. So, so let's, get through, ma- let's get through major season. He won't have a win. Small tournament, big tournament, major, you name it. Major season. So basically after the last so the yep. PGA Championship. Yep. So okay. The, the Masters is uh, next, okay. right? He's not scheduled to play again, to tee off again. So yep. the Masters right yep. through whatever, whenever the PGA is, yep. he wins one tournament. I don't care how big, how small, you got a case of okay. Stella coming your way. All right? I'm booking. That's uh, a great bet. I love, love it. it. I love, love it too, it. sweetheart. Listen, one final thing. All right, this is a bit, <laughs> bit of an, bit of an on the fly for you. All right, and we'll, and we'll end all with right. this here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. The ratings in the NCAA March Madness tournament are up between four and five percent. I heard this earlier on some national radio. What does it say about us as sports fans, as people? The NCAA is under a federal investigation. The FBI is looking into how corrupt the NCAA is as far as men's basketball goes, and yet ratings are up. What is that? Does that tell you anything at all? Well, it tells you, for me, it tells you, obviously the system is broken in the NCAA. There's a lot of things that need to be addressed. Uh, the other thing it tells me is that, you know, the playing field is a lot more level. There's a lot of good players that are going to some of these smaller schools that might not get their big shot. But the thing that we look at, Joe, is what we looked at with this great Eagles team, and I will continue to beat this drum until I pass, is the fact that chemistry. You look at these teams that have great chemistry, guys that have played together. You look at a team that's like like some of these underdog teams that have played together for like three or four years, they have a great opportunity to beat these teams that – that have like a bunch of one and dones. I'm talking about like the Kentucky. Now Duke's on that path where they're getting all these ones because they played together. They know how to win together. And, and there's a lot to be said. And yeah, obviously the NCAA, these, you know, these scandals are running wild. But the one thing that it just doesn't take away from is just the spirit and how hard these games are played. And I think people love it. People. And not only that, people bet on it. That's what makes it so popular. And just to throw a crazy bit out there, which I read the other day, which was just fascinating, is that eight alumnus from the UMBC bet their team to beat Virginia really? on the money line. They each <laughs> they, they each put up $100. So they put an $800 bet on the money line to UMBC, and it paid out sixteen grand. Oh. How about that? They each walk away with two grand How sweet for a hundred dollar bet. That's a hell of That's a bet. That's not bad at all, is it? And they were counting their money late, late in that second half. They were already spending it for crying uh-huh. out loud. Absolutely. Hopefully, they didn't make it to Sapphire. That's all I'm saying. I'll just, anyway, I'll just say this: <laughs> to me, it's all about as a society our our need for gratification. It has nothing. At the end of the day, you know, if you have a guy that's been arrested on your sports team. If he's on the field, he ain't arrested at that moment. So that's all you care about. You could hate a guy for years playing for an opponent. He gets traded to your team, starts to produce, all of a sudden, what do you care about? Right? I mean, sort of the same thing. Everybody's up in arms. Oh, the NCAA, so corrupt. This is terrible. Can't believe it. Tournament starts, ratings are up. We don't care. The scandal's not going on on that basketball court at that moment in the minds of anybody that's watching those games, betting on those games, rooting for their teams rooting for their bracket. That, to me, is is what this all comes down to. At the end of the day, we're selfish. 
you know, hey, sports are great. We want to root for them. We wait for the tournament every year. Here it comes. I'm all in. Forget that six weeks ago, University of Arizona's basketball team was in shambles, right? What are they doing round one? Yeah. You know, what are they doing round two? That's Knock what I care out. about. So I just found it interesting. Oh, and you look at two, and you want to talk about the NCAA. I mean, look at the teams that were involved in the scandal. I mean, they had to put Arizona in the tournament because they won the pack. Well, they won the regular season title in the Pac-12. They also won their conference tournament, which means it's an automatic bid. They were a four seed. They probably should have been a little lower than that. But the other teams involved in the scandal, you're talking about USC, those teams were left out and punished, in my belief, because the NCAA, the people that run that, and I'm talking to you, Mark Emmert, you're a fraud. And that needs to be fixed. So we'll see what happens. Love it, brother. Good stuff as always. It's the Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Sorry it was so long of a hiatus, but real life calls at times. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Johnny Mita, you the man. Nova Nation. All right. Nova Nation. Nova here we Nation. go. Go Cats. On, on the road to San Antonio. Here we go. Love it. I got, a place, I got a place for you to stay in San Antonio, too. Just holler at your boy. I love it. Don't tell me that. Don't tempt me. For Johnny Mita, I'm Joe O'Donnell. Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate the love and support. Till next time. Soon. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.